So, you know, sometimes the chapters, they're just so varied in length. I read the mm. first two and I was like, hmm, those are pretty meaty. But it's only quarter past and I said we'll start at half past. So if it took me 15 minutes to read these two, I'll just quickly bash out this final one. The chapter three took double the amount of time. And that was like literally <laughs> by, by the end of it, I was like, oh my God, I'm so sleepy. And check the time. I was like, oh, it's already half past. It's come and gone. <laughs> Just that he's big on lists again, and that, those make me sleepy, I guess. <laughs> um, he's just BuzzFeed uh, making lists. Oh, is that what they do? Is that what they're up to these days? I thought that's what they were kind of in, like infamous for. That's what they got a lot of their like um, attention from before. It's like, top 10 reasons why you should, or like, top 11 mm. things that blah, blah blah, and also then they did the quizzes and stuff. I just haven't thought about BuzzFeed that's not attached to Unsolved. And I've not even thought about Unsolved in so long. <laughs> so I was like, oh wow, is this news to me? I'm like, I'm sure it wasn't at some point in my life. I think I think they are slowly dying because all of their creators are like leaving. They, they That was their uh, foolishness, is that they let their creators become characters. Yeah. You gotta keep them a faceless amorphous mass and then they can't <laughs> strike out without you. <laughs> and also treat them properly, like you know, like when when your uh, characters realize that like they're being treated badly and they can support themselves yeah, on their really. own. <laughs> At least if you treat them nice, you can like inspire some misplaced loyalty. <laughs> But that's like every like media fashion. I'm sure it's like pretty much every industry where I'm like, you could have had all these people. You don't even need to give them much to inspire loyalty. Like it really actually doesn't take much. Like I'm so loyal to my three people and they're just like nice. They're, they're not even like super above and beyond. It's just like compared to everybody else's bosses, I'm like, wow, they just like never treat me like shit. And sometimes they give me snacks. I die for them. <laughs> <laughs> and I will never leave. Yeah, whereas you're like, literally that's all it takes. I, I do love to see it though. I do love to see big businesses forget that they are built on the backs of people. And then when mm. that comeuppance comes, except it's mm. sad that it takes so long. And these people deserve better sooner. But yeah, whap, whap, that got that went on an emotional journey journey for me. Uh, anyway, this is Brand Back, the Lamest Podcast. <laughs> um, I'm Nemo Martin. I use they/them pronouns. I'm your host. Very little has happened in the week since that we've recorded. I think so. I guess today I just looked out of my window and I've seen that my neighbor. My neighbor was really, really loud today in the garden, like with like a saw and stuff. And I was like, what the fuck? I hate you so much. But I just looked out and they've got a nice little like lit area with like fairy lights and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, it's pretty cute. You can have that. (laughs) That's, um, I mean, I'll never ever go and talk to them. I don't even know what their names are and I won't ever go and sit in it. But I can look out at it and be like, oh. Nice job. <laughs> Hatred revoked for now. Uh, this is Stevie. She, they pronouns. Primary researcher. My news for today. 
Yeah, it was like last time we recorded, me and Nemo had actually only seen each other the day before, and I was like, there's not going to be anything to say, but so much has happened to both of us. <laughs> Whereas this time, uh, my girlfriend got her first proper Nendroid arrived today in the post. <gasps> she loves him very much. Um, and <laughs> it's Tanjiro from... <laughs> <laughs> from... Uh, Oh my god, Demon Slayer. And she was like, when she ordered him, she was like, he's the only one I'll ever want. He arrived today, I got home, she was displaying him to me and was like, so like, this hasn't awakened anything in me, I just need to get home. <laughs> my boy from Jujutsu Kaisen. <laughs> so it's absolutely awoken something in her. <sighs> That's hilarious. Of course it's so- not a one bye thing <laughs> we look forward to welcoming Itadori into the family <laughs> uh, I can't wait until she builds the um, garden rock garden thing and puts all the nendroids in it and like creates a little pastiche <laughs> she literally brought that up because um Tanjiro has these little like water feature things and she was like, oh, in the rock pool when me and Nemo build garden <laughs> for our androids. <laughs> so the, it, that's not forgotten. It's very much on the mind. Excellent. Um, mm. I guess speaking of little pastiches, creating a little environment to put your, your little best boys in, because <laughs> I, I think I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure how Hugo felt about Guillenormand. That's what mm. we decided, wasn't it? Um, mm. Like I think we finished it. That we were like, he's got some downsides and character flaws, but kind of overall, like he's described in a way that is kind of. It feels like Hugo's having fun with it, mm. but any. Like, uncertainty I had is now gone. He uh. could not love Guillermo more. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I think you, you pointed out that you were like, oh, is this his... Like, I know every character is his OC, but, like... I know Marius is meant to be his OC, but this mm-hmm. guy... It's <laughs> <laughs> just, like, imagining him... Imagining that it is him describing himself... Mm-hmm. just makes it so good where he's like so we're not done describing him like the book three is called grandfather and grandson we're mostly going to be touching still on the uh grandfather part that's like so he hangs out in some very distinguished and aristocratic salons um and he, he mainly gets into describing one that's run by this uh one woman um but he's like, oh, also confirmed he's bourgeois. Mm. I, I felt I was like, for some reason, like, oh, but could he be aristocratic? But I was like, no, he's solidly bourgeois. Um, despite that, he was socially acceptable in these more aristocratic establishments because he had double measure of wit, and yeah. his he was sought after and welcomed with open arms he'd only go places where he would have sway and you know for some people 
if they can't be oracles in a space, they'll play the fool. But not <laughs> Monsieur Gillenormand. He was everywhere an oracle. <laughs> oh my god, he's just coming out with supernatural news. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> There's like so much more to come of this though. Uh, yeah, it was just like if he was at all holding back in the last one, just being like mm-hmm. he only has hilarious things to say and everyone uh-huh. loves to hear them. Uh-huh. Um what was oh, please was it on the next page? No, well he gets into he like specifically is like now let me write down some of the witty rejoinders <laughs> that this man gives. Um, me, I mean, Jean-Marc uh, says not not me. I didn't. I mean, I wrote the book, yes, but I was channeling Jean-Marc. All kings who are not the king of France are provincial kings. <laughs> um, oh, what was the second one? Reading it, it will be. It is better seeing written down than I'm sure me trying to perform it now. But uh, one day, the following exchange took place in uh, his presence. What sentence did the editor of uh, some magazine receive? Suspension, preferably by the neck. Commented Mister Gilman. Oh my god. <laughs> written down like don't worry he's full of singers oh my god i'm trying to think of who he reminds me of and i feel like someone like jeremy clarkson or something like that kind of schmarmy humor Mm. yeah we're like no wonder you're having so much fun hugo you're in your element (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so this main saloon that he spends time in and that we are going to be spending some time in uh, mm. these chapters is run by Madame de T um, who we, we get a bit about her and like who her husband had been um, the kind of people she allows into her society um, mm. she stayed away from court uh, She's living in noble isolation, proud and poor. Like, we do get a lot about the sort of kind of aristocrats and bourgeois who hang around in this group where, yeah, it's like, we'd rather keep on airs and pretend that we still live deliciously Mm. when actually, like, our means are much uh, depleted. But it's Mm. all about, like, the face you put on it. Mm. And yeah, and he's like an important part of that. Um, and so we get a lot about each of these like groups of guests and like there's the women who hang out there and he's like, oh, they all, like, they're duchesses and refined, but they'll go into ecstasies over verses <coughs> written... <laughs> ecstasies is the word! Uh, over verses written about uh, Napoleon... Um, and the verse was like, tuck your shirt tails into your trousers. And I was like, is, is, is it raunchy? <laughs> mm, mm. I feel like it's maybe that thing of, you know, like um, girls like um, Fontaine and Favorite and the others whose names <laughs> I will definitely remember, um, you know, when they're like, uh, I don't find them funny, but I will laugh anyway kind of thing, right? Okay, yeah. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe. but that's 
kind of how I, I mean, I just assume that anytime a girl is mentioned in something like this, I'm like, well, I don't trust Hugo. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the next bit is him being like, they delighted in making puns they believed to be devastating. I'm like, somebody right, else yeah. believes that their puns are devastating. And it's not these made up women, Hugo. <laughs> Um, but unfortunately for us, the puns just don't have what I must assume is a devastating effect in the English. Um, mm. And reading out the French would be meaningless to us. So there's like a lot of that here where he he's back on his lists and they're so intense and full of history and then also his characters, so made up history. They're just like, this doesn't need to be read out to you listening to this, I don't think. I'm going to make that decision for us. But they make little songs up as well. Like, they're keeping busy. Um, Songs are like the guillotine. They cut indiscriminately, um, says Hugo. These women refer to liberals as friends and brothers. This was the ultimate insult. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good <laughs> um, oh yeah so then he's like he is commenting on the bourgeois and it's that thing where I'm like it's mostly him being like look at these old fools but then he does that Hugo thing where he turns it around and you're like I don't think you really hate them um, mm. but he says among the bourgeois portions of prestige are diminished by being too socially indiscriminate so if you're hanging out with people who don't have a good reputation, then your own standing is diminished by being around them. So I guess this is setting up who baby Marius is and isn't going to be like allowed mm-hmm. to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting our theme highlighted for us. So thank you, Hugo, for that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that this society is Mount Olympus a thief gains entry provided he is a god. So it is, I guess, that, like, him pointing out the as long as you, like, you can be a rascal, I guess, is the word I imagine he would use. Um, Rascal. But but as long as you come from the right background, you're allowed in. But if you're, like, I'm going to, I don't know if it's, like, honest or, like, if you're not quite interesting enough, you're not allowed in. But if you're too Mm. interesting, then, like... That could also be a concern. Mm. You can't be more interesting than Jean-Lamond. No, some other man is like kind of trying to be. Um, <laughs> like he's allowed in because of his celebrity. But don't worry, Monsieur Guillemont, his prestige was thoroughly deserved. Unlike <laughs> the other man. <laughs> he had authority because he had authority. Uh, of course. Even though he's frivolous. Um, this does not distract from his jollity. Um, and he just has this commanding, dignified, honest uh, <laughs> manner with a bourgeois ag- uh, arrogance, <laughs> but uh. not in a way that he goes like, and these are bad things. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like that's not what that paragraph says. Like, I really think he loves him. I, this is really hilarious. Like, what, at what point do you think that Hugo sort of looked down and was like, "Oh shit, yeah, uh, social injustice." Um, <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's like he kind of tries to remember. Every now and again, he will remember, and like that will spark, and then he just like 
can't help himself, it feels like. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Um, moreover, he made comments that were absolute gems of old-style wit, and that's when oh, he relays those uh, those gems of old-style wit <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that have already been relayed. And yeah, anyway, he's accompanied by his daughter all the time, that lanky spinster who turned 40, but she looked 50. Of course. Well, uh, what was it he said about, um, um, was it, was it Bishop Muriel's sister who was like 40 is the 50 of Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) No, Tanadier. It was Tanadier, right? Tanadier's wife. Um, but, uh. Yeah, that she she was the same age as him, technically, because women age at a different rate. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot that, but yeah, here it is. Jot that down. It was literally the second time he said the exact same thing. Yeah, that that's a fullest twice. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> that's just your opinion, Hugo. <laughs> Yeah, I I also find it interesting. Like I don't know for some reason in my head, um, I guess because of stereotypes of spinsters, I imagined um, the uh, his daughter to be like described as portly, but lanky is not how I expected because that's very much how um, Bishop Muriel's sister is described, right? Yeah, I think I was surprised as well. But I think it was because I definitely had in my head that when she was young and was still like, maybe one day I'll get married, she specifically wanted a man who was portly. So maybe hmm. that was like the crossed wires. But then, yeah, I was also like, oh, lanky. Oh, I didn't see that one coming as well (laughs) for some reason. Yeah, usually, Victor Hugo, you would shove in some fat phobia here. Like, what is happening? Yeah. (laughs) Like, well, like I've I've crammed everything else in here, so, <laughs> um, and also, uh, scurrying around after him was a handsome little boy of seven, white, pink, fresh-faced, happy, interesting eyes, who has to hang out in this saloon of like old farts all the time. <laughs> and they're all just around him, like, oh, that poor child, oh, what a pity, and. It gets into how, like, he's surrounded by this all the time, but he really internalizes, like, all of their grumbling that, like, that's quite sad. Um, mm. But yes, as we have mentioned before, this child is Marius. Um, and another thing that he has to hear when they're like, poor child, it's because they're referring to his father, the brigand <laughs> of the. Blah? <laughs> Blah? Blah? Yeah, sure. Okay, sure. you're not going to help spell? me. L-O-I-R-E. Yeah. Who <laughs> knows? Loire pronunciation. Loire. 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 I don't have the energy for that. <laughs> I'm surprised it's such a, like, back of the throat sound. I always think of, like, is it glutteral sounds? as more German. Hmm. But okay. I feel like French has quite a lot of the like, um, you know, random weird sounds you shove in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I, my throat can't take it today. I was like, am I gonna? I don't know. Because um, <laughs> we're getting into chapter two, where we're going to be slowly building up to me pitching 
another ship to you. Ooh, <laughs> interesting. Because you know that I like to be like in this small fandom that's already small and doesn't cater to my needs. What about that side pairing that no one has even thought about? Like, that's my thing in every fandom that I found another one. <laughs> Excellent. I can't even begin to guess what it is, so I'm very excited. Wow, we'll, we'll get there. It's a journey because this chapter is pretty long. Excellent. Um, so anyone who would happen to pass through the little town of Vernon during this period and would walk across that beautiful stone bridge which, with luck, will soon be succeeded by some hideous iron cable bridge. Because <laughs> um, we know how much Hugo really does care about architecture. Yeah. Um, if you like, happen to look about you, you would maybe see a man of 50 in some clothes, uh, including wooden clogs, mm. very tanned in the face, clearly he's outside working a lot. He's got a or, uh, uh, always has a hoe or sickle in his hand. So straight mm. away, I made a little note like, hmm, another yeah. gardening boy. I feel like I know what the side shift is going to be, and I'm very <laughs> excited for the the the, the content. Yes, <laughs> the build up, the reveal. <laughs> yeah. Um, on that little walk across those little bridge, you'll see so many like beautiful little gardens. That mm. if they were bigger, you would call them a garden. If they were smaller, you would call them a little bouquet. Um, <laughs> and right at the end, there's like of the smallest of them with the smallest garden, but which is like the most beautiful of the gardens, is where this this man lives <laughs> alone in solitude. Well, a woman as well, but like that doesn't even really count. <laughs> alone in solitude. <laughs> Only the beauty of the flowers he cultivated there. He devoted himself to those flowers. Mm, mm, yeah. Here, this is the man that I thought you were talking about before. You know, last episode when I was like, oh, my favourite old man is here. Um, and then it turned out it was Jules And I was like, <laughs> oh, wrong man. This is my favourite old man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Could. Now that I know this old man, yes, I do see this coming. We're both very... Um, Susceptible to the same yeah. thing. <laughs> reliable in our interests. <laughs> as reliable as this old man <laughs> going on his walks is. Um, like the creator, he has made himself a paradise. Um, and he's been producing like very specific and impressive forms of tulips and dahlias and he's ingenious uh, in creating mm. like his style of garden in the style of like certain type of American Ch and Chinese gardens but he's on it before it's even come into the fashion like he's, wow. he's ahead of that curve I'm like speaking about him as if I'm like oh he thinks he's so great but I do think he's so great so I'm sorry <laughs> that's just my voice today <laughs> that's more on you judging Hugo and not on you judging old man yeah I love him and his little Pete piles for cultivating his rare shrubs mm. um he's got a sad gentle kindly air often daydreaming he'll be motionless for hours on end listening to the song of a bird in a tree so he's kind of like achieved zen it feels like mm. but like if he was 
I, like I know exactly what his Instagram would look like now. <laughs> yeah, based on all of this. And he'd have quite a lot of followers on TikTok just because people love an old man with a garden. Yeah, exactly. That would be where he would be getting the uh, the funds that he needs to live. Yeah, yeah. Um, he eats very frugally, drank more milk than wine. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Nemo wish it, that could be us. <laughs> uh, he's diffident to the point of shyness. He doesn't go out often. But he does have a friend. <laughs> I did just have the like funniest thing in my head where I was like, oh, well, I can cross him off being East Asian then because of the milk. <laughs> and black as well. Apparently, um, it's East Asian people and black people who can't tolerate milk the most. So, oh. Well, because of the sun, his face was almost black, says mm. the descriptor, question mark. Mm. Question mark. <laughs> Yeah, he's out here with his one friend, parish priest. Can you tell who my ship is? Okay, <laughs> More on that relationship later. Um, even though he's so shy, because he has this beautiful garden, sometimes people will knock on his door, and if you do that, he will open the door with a smile and be like, of course you can come look at them. This was the brigand of the Loire. <laughs> Oh my god. Um, yeah, his actual name is Georges Pont-Messy. Mm. Has a very illustrious military career, which does go on for some pages. Here's me turning those pages to, <laughs> <laughs> to show how many. Like, he, he's been in, like, every battle, and it kind of it goes into, like, here are the very... Brave acts. Um, here's all his successes. He becomes like a sub lieutenant, and then he becomes a com- colonel, and then he be- wait is colonel just how it's spelt, but it's actually colonel. Colonel. <laughs> As I said it, I was like, hmm, so I made a fool of myself. <laughs> colonel. Just, just think of KFC, my friend. Just think of KFC. Oh, it's true. Um, becomes a colonel I'm going to try and move swiftly past (laughs) why would they spell it that way (laughs) I mean also lieutenant but oh lieutenant in well in in the British pronunciation it's lieutenant what (laughs) did you not know that no it's spelled the same but pronounced lieutenant this is what happens when we get rid of some of our alphabet. Because we used to have the F, the little special F, and we got rid of that. Yeah. Anyway, Lieutenant to Colonel <laughs> and onwards. Um, at one point, he was like on a boat sailing from Genoa. I don't trust my pronunciation of anything anymore. Um <laughs> On this boat, and they're going past seven or eight English naval ships, and the captain, the Genoese captain, is like, right, let's throw the guns overboard, we hide the soldiers below the decks, we can slip past them in the dark, pretend we're a merchant ship, no problem, not even an issue, and he's like, hoist that triangular flag up the flagpole, we're sailing proudly past um, 
flipping off the British as we go, basically. <laughs> and then 50 miles on, his audacity increasing, uh, he attacks and captures a large English transport ship carrying troops to Sicily that, on the one hand, like, when the, the story began, I was like, oh, his audacity increasing. Oh, this is like, he's a very proud man, but then he does a good job. So I'm like, ah, oh, okay, it's not a tale of hubris, mm. a tale of achievement. He distinguishes himself at Australis. Um, the emperor awarded him the cross at uh, Ilo. He was in the cemetery where the heroic Captain Louis Hugo, uncle of the author of this book, <laughs> <laughs> like I was about to rip into him and then he points it at himself and I'm like okay um, <laughs> alone with his company of 83 men held out for two hours against the enemy army's concentrated efforts um, mm. yeah it's like he was very good at being a soldier he was also very good at being an officer he was what was called under the old regime two-handed that is to say equally adept as a soldier with saber and musket and as an officer with cavalry squadron and infantry battalion so like he's the best boy at Mm. war i know that i have said this on this podcast before but it's been a while so (laughs) um this is where my my favorite um head canon i guess comes in um which is that I definitely think that George Pomessi is based on Thomas Alexander Dumas, um, the novelist Alexander Dumas' um, dad. Have I said this before to you? Uh, if you did, I didn't really know or clock who Pomessi was, so it would have been like, oh, I love a reference to Dumas. Yeah. <laughs> At because, best, so say it. Yeah. Well, because um, so I, uh, there's a, a book called The Black Count by um, oh my god what's his name um, Tom Rice um, yeah and it's about Thomas Alexander Dumas who was mixed race he was half black and he was a captain under Napoleon and he one of the stories in in um, that happened in real life that Thomas Alexander did was that uh, at one point they were sailing into, I think, Italy. And one of the the things was that like, they should have taken their flags down, but they didn't because uh, he was like, I'm no coward. I'm going to like uh, put my flags up proudly. And he like, like sailed in and they captured him <laughs> and he was like tortured and stuff. And he was like, a big part in a lot of the colonization of Egypt. He was like a, um, a really celebrated captain. Um, he was never offered the cross though. That was something that I noted was that um, he wasn't allowed to because as a black person, he wasn't allowed to have the cross, even though every other person who was like half as good as him in his rank um, was awarded it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like one my 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 headcanon is that Georges de Pomessy was possibly half black, which is why when you said earlier that his, you know, in the sun, mm. he had tanned to be almost black. I was like, it would be, yeah, interesting. I mean, Marius is very, very white. He's very <laughs> pink. But if he is uh, a quarter, he might be quite 
quite passing possibly as at least as a child um and one that's kept inside quite a lot as well Mm. um and probably powdered and all that kind of stuff so yeah that's my and I I would I'm definitely going to write a lot more about this because I definitely want to like flesh out all of the like similarities and stuff because obviously Hugo and uh Duma were like friends and um so would have presumably been told quite a lot of the stories of Dumas' father um, and then sort of recycled them for for Georges. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, he literally took that, like, verbatim, hoist that flag, we've got too much pride, oh, we happen to be in Sicily, which is, like, next to Italy, so. Yeah, I think it was Sicily, you know. <laughs> well, then it's just him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, but... Imagine you're Dumas and you're reading that and you're like, oh, great. And then you're like, wait, does that make me Marius? <laughs> Hugo! I thought we were Rose. Well, they did have a, like, hate, rivalry, love relationship, so... <laughs> okay, maybe it does check out. Hmm, to think on more. Naples. It was in Naples. Okay. Well, it's still, like basically one-to-one yeah exactly yeah i think there is more argument for that than like if you were trying to argue against it you'd have to have some flimsy evidence (laughs) and also you know the i'm basically going to get ahead of myself by like a page but that you know you were saying uh dumas wasn't able to have the cross what happens to um pomacy is that because he was fighting in all these wars on the side of the emperor, one of the various Napoleons. Um, Mm. I'm not second to research anymore. I don't need to remember that. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say first. (laughs) Could have been second. Um, So because ultimately, in the end, after the Battle of Waterloo, Napoleon lost. Mm. All of these accolades, and like Napoleon had been like, um, you know, after all of these battles, like, wow, Pomacy, good boy, you're a colonel now, a baron, an officer of the Legion of Honor, um, and like, yeah, gives him the the cross. Hmm. But then when the emperor is no longer in charge, and you you're high up on the uh, now losing side. That is all stripped away, and they keep trying to take his cross away. Like they, he's basically told, like you don't have the cross, mm-hmm. and he's like, that makes no sense to me. Are you mm-hmm. gonna come take it? And they're like, kind of too cowed to take it off him. And then he'll like mm-hmm. storm up to that same, uh, was it lawyer? Well, the someone in a official law capacity who was like, you gotta take that off. Um, he mm. storms up to him and is like, are you gonna take the scar off my face as well? Mm. <laughs> You're like, get in, Pomacy! Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, you could, I guess you could maybe make that parallel. Yeah, definitely. Like, And, and also, like, um, so, uh, Duma, Thomas Alexander Duma married into a, I think, bourgeois family. It was either bourgeois or aristocratic. He married a, a very beautiful white woman. And she, when he was, like, imprisoned in Naples, she was, like, trying to go to everyone and be, like, like all of his war buddies and being, like, hey, can you, like, 
like launch a ship or something or like bring him back he's been away from like two years like he's been in prison like in this thing can you like go and do stuff and everyone's like ah yeah i don't know about that uh and like she went through like loads and loads of her friends and stuff and nobody did anything for it i feel like it's a very similar thing of like suddenly none of the medals or like achievements mean anything Mm. Uh, well that is, yeah, <laughs> like, well, I'm glad the woman he married actually cared about him. Yeah. yeah, that's it. The only person. So Pretty much, yeah. In this version of Pomacy, he finds the time between wars to marry, uh, and she's great, but she does die mm. almost yeah. immediately. <laughs> like, of course. Cool. Yeah. So since. The Battle of Waterloo. Uh, as we will remember, says Hugo, that he was uh, pulled out of that sunken road. And you're like, you're relying on some long memories, Hugo. Um, mm. But we do remember, I guess. Since then, he's on half pay. And he was sent home, that is to say, placed under house arrest. And that's why he's like living out his sort of quiet days in Venon. He's not recognized for his rank or his title he still always like fastens his little rosette to his uh coat to show that he's an officer of the legion of honor but yeah oh because so yeah crown prosecutor who was like it's unlawful for you to wear that um mm. and that's when he was like i you, you're basically not speaking french to me because that does not make sense <laughs> Um, yeah, that he just like doesn't back down on that. Um, mm. And Hugo says, if you will forgive the expression, Pomacy ended up with the same spittle in his mouth as his emperor. Oh my god. <laughs> Na- <laughs> Napoleon right, was e- equally like, when people were going over to, to Napoleon to be like, you can't do this and you're not recognized for this, he was also like, that doesn't make sense. I'm not listening. Mm. I feel um, like there was a factoid somewhere that George's promise was actually based on Victor Hugo's uncle or something, but now a quick Google doesn't bring anything up, so... Well, because his uncle came up, he says that, like, so of that battle in that cemetery mm-hmm. where he and Louis Hugo both happened to be, only three people survived, so I guess that's Pomacy, Louis Hugo, and someone named Man. Mm. <laughs> Did your uncle raise the flag even though it was maybe not in his best interests Hugo <laughs> can't find anything right now so who the fuck knows mm-hmm. I feel like your one makes sense I'm, I'm willing to buy it thank you <laughs> I only need one person to believe me and then it becomes law so <laughs> <laughs> now I'm a source for when you write it in your uh, exactly <laughs> Oh, I believe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so because his wife has passed on, he's basically in his solitude with his flowers. Mm. And, you know, it would have been really nice in these years of solitude to, like, have his son <laughs> to love. That would have been, mm. like, great for him. Unfortunately, this grandfather, who, like, is so full of wit and we love him so much, etc., cetera, mm. etc., cetera, says Hugo had claimed that grandson and said, like, oh, if you don't hand him over, I'm going to disinherit him. Mm. Um, and Pomacy is like, 
this sucks for me, but I do think it's in my son's best interest to have a more stable future. So, not allowed to have his child. He had taken to loving flowers. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't have... He, so Pomacy doesn't have any contact with his father-in-law. Mm. Um, so Gil, Gil Noman just refers to him as the brigand. And for the colonel, Gil Noman was the old fogey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, no love lost there. Yeah, and it's sort of like understood that Pomacy should never attempt to see his son or speak to him. Otherwise, Maris will be returned to him disowned and disinherited and then it's Mm. like so like it turns out as we kind of alluded to in the last episode when it's like oh because Gionamanda's like money doesn't even matter like if it'll get my wife off my back she can do it what she wants and she only actually left him like a small amount of like a stipend or like monthly allowance when Mm. she passed away Mm. It's not even that he has this big fortune that he's like, oh, I get to look after Marius because I have all this money I'm going to give to him. It's the daughter that the mother, like, cleverly or purposely left most of the money to. So, like, she actually has the power there. But I'm like, oh, (laughs) lady, (laughs) you let this happen. Well, because she's not a biological mother, Stevie. Yeah, and we her all know that barren. women who aren't exactly. <laughs> we all know that a barren woman has no feeling towards children um, other than her own. So yeah, I don't know how I could even for a second forget that. Yeah. God damn it! I find it kind of interesting. Like I completely forgot about this until you mentioned the the garden again just then. But um, Jory's being referred to as the creator like the creator mm. with his little garden of eden which does make marius into another little um i was gonna call him jean valjean that's not <laughs> the name of the person jesus <laughs> well jesus, jesus jean valjean same exactly. guy <laughs> yeah but it does set him up as being jesus and that's um something mm. he's very not that <laughs> Like Jean Valjean, you're like, yeah, you know, he's suffering for the sins of the human race. Marius, what the fuck does he do? Nothing. Get out of here. <laughs> he becomes grey-faced. Yeah. And a uh, staunch uh, royalist. That's mm. what he does. Oh, another question we'd had that we were like, I think the last time we'd been like, oh, did the was the fortune from Guillaume the Mans family or was it from his mm-hmm. wife's? Mm. that we have here that she, the daughter who lives with Gionamand, the unmarried aunt was extremely Mm. wealthy by virtue of her mother's side of the family Mm. and her sister's son was her natural heir. So it's like actually she has the money but I guess that the man has the power so Mm. he's Mm. still gonna lord over that estate like he didn't care when it was his own money he was like please wife you deal with this i'm gonna have affairs but now that it's his daughter's money we have a lot of stake in it i see Mm -hmm. (laughs) sorry i didn't give you time to sigh (laughs) (laughs) 
It's very important, Stevie, that you give me the gap to sigh in before you move on. Okay, yeah. I've done. Thank you. Sorry. Now you can I've, move on. I've already read this, so I've taken the blows. I've grown from them. I've moved on. This is all fresh. These are fresh hits. So all this to say, the boy Marius knew he had a father, but that was about it. Um, mm. No word was ever spoken to him about his father but because as we've said he's like growing up in this like old people's home of a saloon (laughs) with their memories of aristocratic (laughs) grandeur he's so used to these whisperings and like you know them referring to him as a brigand that Mm. like naturally he's gonna come to think of his father only with shame and a heavy heart like Mm. that is quite Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. <laughs> but a little glimmer of hope mm. for Pomacy, the senior. Um, so Marius and the aunt go to Paris every couple of months. Mm. And like an ex-convict, violating <laughs> the terms of his release. <laughs> <laughs> As if, as if he's referencing another book. Like if he was like, oh, you know, like a, a hunchback who lived in the Church of Notre Dame. <laughs> it's, it's like a character in the same book. <laughs> he's not even finished the book. He's already self-referential. <laughs> you know what? That is one of those moments of just like stupid big dick swinging that you're like, you know what? I give that one to you. You go, nobody else would dare. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you big stupid bastard. <laughs> um, yes, like an ex-convict violating the terms of his release, Pomacy would like trail them to Paris and keep himself hidden behind pillars and. Uh, behind buildings, trembling with fear that the ant might turn around and see him there. And this is the only time that he can gaze at his child. Mm. It is with this that brought about his friendship with the parish priest, Monsieur l'Abbé Mabouf. My boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's so the priest is brothers with a warden of the area where um Marius and the aunt go to and he, Mm. the warden had noticed this man like weeping behind a pillar while looking at this child and when he was visiting his brother back in Venon, saw the same man mentioned it to his brother the abbe and the abbe was like oh my god okay let's go find out what's happening there, they go over to Pomacy's house they get the whole story and they're both just like, oh my god. Because, um, you know, Pomacy's sacrificing his own happiness for the child's future. And as a result, the priest developed a deep regard and affection for him. And the colonel mm. on his side developed a fondness for the priest. I drew a little heart. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least he has, like, someone who he can speak his woes to and, like, appreciates what he's going through um Mm. and you know anyway besides there is nothing like an old priest and an old soldier for understanding each other and getting along fundamentally Uh they are the same man (laughs) 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 one served the country and the other served the country that will be his in the next (laughs) 
Okay. So it's basically the same job, says Hugo. Um, yeah, sure, definitely. Uh. Yeah, definitely checks out, but it doesn't even matter because, like, they're in his little tulip garden speaking in hushed voices and, like, mm. and an understanding passes between them and, like, that's what we take away. That's what I'm taking away. That's what I'm telling you to take mm. away. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, new biggest shift in the Loomis fandom? There are two fix. <gasps> That's two more than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's only, well, one of them is uh, is um, is multiple ships, so it's not, uh, I don't like one of the tags in one of these fix. It's Marius's daddy boner, and I don't like that. Oh. I don't want to think about that. Um, but the other one seems cool. It's an aromantic um, 80s AU. There are loads of flowers. Gratuitous poetism. Poeticism. It's by Song of Orpheus. It's called Their Dreamy Way to Weeping Moonlight. Uh. Um, so it's only 1,580 words. So really, really get, ring, ring the feelings out of those. Yeah, <laughs> <words>. I will. <laughs> Yeah, and then this ends with, like, so twice a year, Marius will write a dutiful letter to his father that the ant will dictate, um, which is basically mm-hmm. like it's been copied from a primer, and that was all he was allowed from his mm-hmm. son. And then the father would reply with these loving letters that the grandfather would stuff into his pocket unread. So, mm-hmm. more tragic. We just So now to add to that uh, scene that Nemo will write into the fic while I dictate it that like <laughs> he gets a letter twice a year and he's so excited um they're mm-hmm. sitting in the garden together him and the abbe um mm-hmm. and like he can like barely even handle to like look at the words first he has to have the abbe like read it to him before he can even like like that's oh a separate God. experience to the experience of then he looks at the letter and like runs his fingers over his son's handwriting because this is <laughs> as close as he can get to him. Nemo! Is this, <laughs> is this as much as they have? <laughs> and, like, um, uh, the uh, Mabouf, like, uh, presses flowers for him to put into the, um, uh, the letters. Uh, oh, he does! And they've all got, like, different meanings, like, you know, it eventually spells, like, your father loves you more than anything in the world, but of course Marius never sees it. Uh, <gasps> but in, I guess at the end of the fic, there's, like, a line break, and in the future, when Marius is grown, and he, he comes across these letters that were mm. stuffed in an old jacket, and he... Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, um also with this, like, you know, if if um uh Marius so in this in this world where Mabouf and Georges were like, you know, uh lovers, that just adds to the the amount of pain that Marius gets to feel with father figures he nearly makes die. <laughs> Well, yeah, because I don't know what happens with this dad, but I don't think it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fic that I like, I can't handle, like, to me, bittersweet is sadder than just sad. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm here, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, like, I don't know. 
But I like have to assume the dad's gonna die before Marius decides that he loves him. What? No. So <laughs> in the future, when he comes across these letters, like, is the Abbe alive? Like, maybe he is in this, and he's been like mourning his uh, his lost love for so long. But he's been keeping an eye out when he can on Marius growing up because he knew how much that meant to his husband. Maybe he has the letters, and he's the one who gives them to Marius. But there's pressed flowers and Marius is like crying into the letters and the tears are like reanimating the dried flowers. But not enough for them to bloom again because time has passed and that's not how life works. I, for once, am so sad that we're not recording in the same place and you can't see what faces I'm making at you. Describe them. Paint me a word picture. I just painted you one. <laughs> um, there's a lot of um, grinning, and there's a lot of lip biting, and there's a lot of um, uh, I'm not gonna say anything, and uh, there's a lot of nodding with a uh, uh, mm, yeah, uh huh. <laughs> Um, and I'm also very glad for one of the first times that you don't know what's about to happen <laughs> to oh, any no. of these characters. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, so. this fic needs to be bashed out before I get to it, until before the next time we record. Because, uh, <laughs> as I suspected, when I read these chapters, I was like, there's a lot in these. Maybe I only need to read the two, but then I was like, oh, but I'll, I'll read the third one just in case. The, the next chapter is so long. Hmm. It is so long, and it's describing so many old people. So I think maybe on that image of my dream world of where this is going, maybe that's where I leave it today. <laughs> okay, excellent. We love to see it. And this is my mental note to myself, not to spoil what happens. Because <laughs> uh... usually I'm a bit cavalier to be like, you know, well, we're going to read it at some point, slash you're going to forget. But now I'm like, I desperately want you to not know what happens. Well, I desperately don't know, but I'm very scared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does something happen to the Abbe? He's important and integral to this plot I've written. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of old men and uh, dried flowers in fanfics... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I will find, I will decide where I'm going to post it, but I have written us another fic for uh, other old oh men God. who got it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is no way to understate the fact that this is the biggest achievement that I've ever <laughs> Like, fuck everything else that comes with this podcast. It's only taken four years, but I've finally gotten Stevie to write me a fan fiction. <laughs> <sighs> well, every single time we come up with something we're like oh um uh, uh this like tiny ship in lamer's fandom we're like ha 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 nemo write it but i didn't even prompt you <laughs> <laughs> i was just thinking about the other old men who got in maybe it needs to be a series of these like tiny side ships that <laughs> only one other person cares about and it's about drying flowers Yes, every single one of them. Oh wow. my god, yeah. And then you culminate in a Valver one. Yeah, that's how I actually get some attention. Although, <laughs> yeah. I would have to address why it is a Valver fic when the first one is, of course, my favourite ship, uh, Jean Valjean and Fauche Levant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and favourites. <laughs> well, we'll 
link that somewhere if you want to read. It's short. <laughs> I care about yeah. them a lot. I am very excited. Uh, and on that note, those have been Brad and Kara Kids. <laughs> the Layman Podcast produced by me, Nima Martin, and Julian Yap. <laughs> I have definitely mentioned what happens to him before, so uh, you'll just have to like trawl through every single episode that we've uh, recorded so far and be like, wait a second. Um, if you want to write us a fanfiction about Georges and Mabouf, please do, and then when you've done it, uh, tag us in it and send it to our email, lamespodcast at gmail.com, L E S M I S podcast, or on Twitter at Lamo's Podcast, or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. If you like this podcast, you can donate to our Ko-fi or our Patreon. And our sound designer is Jade, who you can support by going to her website, jdwasavi.com, or on her bandcamp, jdwasavi.bandcamp.com. I'm um, very excited to read this, and I'm very excited to read your uh, next one, which is going to be Bishop Muriel and... Um, uh, oh, yeah. oh, I need to go back and troll over what flower significance they're gonna get. <laughs> <laughs> well, cut the end credits to after this because I need those yeah. three hits. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I will. Thick isn't gonna get them on their own. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, this is me, Brendan Barcades. There we go. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah.